From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For saying that, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. He took him aside in private away from the crowd and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. This is the word of the Lord. August 3rd, five weeks ago, the Israelis say that they notified the peacekeepers along the contentious border between Israel and Lebanon that one of the trees was growing too far into the demilitarized zone that they could not see as well as they needed to and were about to trim that tree. No one knows exactly what happened a few moments later, but suddenly automatic weapon fire, the Israeli colonel fell dead, three of the Lebanese soldiers and one Lebanese journalist all dead, four in a flash. Josephus, the historian of the first century, said, The people of Tyre, modern-day Lebanon, are notoriously our bitterest enemies. Mark says Jesus walked 20 miles north from the Sea of Galilee into the territory of Tyre. He didn't go to teach. He didn't go to preach. He didn't go to heal. He didn't want anyone to know he was there. He was getting out of the maddening crowds for a brief time. Immediately following this story, Mark says, then Jesus went north to Sidon around the Sea of Galilee to the Decapolis, that's a word we can figure out right away. Deca in Greek is ten. We have the word decade. And polis we have in cosmopolitan, a city of the world. Polis simply means towns or villages. And so Decapolis, ten towns. There were ten little villages that lay on the east coast of this lake. They all went away in time. It's a modern-day nation of Jordan. It was definitely Gentile territory. So Mark has three stories, one, two, three, about Jesus being in Gentile territory. We're going to deal with two of them today. We're going to deal with the third one, that visit to Caesarea Philippi next Sunday. Number one, this woman, a Gentile, Mark makes very clear, a Syrophoenician by birth, 
has a problem, a very sick daughter, and she hears that Jesus is in her territory. Now think about it. This woman is a heathen. She is a pagan, but she has a problem. And she decides to throw herself at the feet of a man in whom it is said Israel's God is present. To prostrate herself before a Jew in whom people are saying Israel's God is present in a way never before. How desperate are you? When something unusual comes into your life, unanticipated, how do you deal with that? These summer months, when we have so many reruns on the major networks, I find myself watching the Food Network. You watch the Food Network? Gail thinks I've lost my mind because I don't cook. I don't cook. But I like the Food Network from time to time. And one of the programs I watch is called Chopped. Have you seen that one? In Chopped, you have three experts, supposedly, and you have four chefs who are vying for a $10,000 prize. The program begins with these four chefs being introduced to you, one after the other. They all come from prestigious restaurants. They are told that they will have ingredients for an appetizer and 20 minutes to prepare it. Then the three judges will eat food from all four chefs. One of them will be chopped and sent away. Three then get to prepare an entree. They have 30 minutes. The judges will taste. One will be chopped and sent away, leaving two to prepare dessert. 30 minutes. Dessert is tasted. One is chopped and the other gets $10,000. The kicker is that these chefs have never seen the ingredients until each course comes. And just before each course is to be prepared, a basket is put in front of them. They open the lid. They all get the same ingredients. But there's always something really weird in there. I mean, recently it was time to cook the entree and there was flank steak, lemongrass, early peas, and a jar of peanut butter. When it was time to cook dessert, the two who were still in the contest found in their baskets a pint of fresh berries, yogurt, fila dough, and three rutabagas. Now, when the rutabaga comes into your dessert, what do you do? When someone you know has been to have a, an exam and suddenly gets very bad news. I mean, when we go for examinations, we always know we could be the one who gets the bad news. When your company is downsizing, when you have less than you've had before, how do you deal with that? Number two, Jesus said, well, first the children have to be fed. Now, every scholar I read this week, and I have six very good commentaries on Mark's gospel, all six of them said, there's no question here, the children are the Jews and the dogs are the Gentiles. And to Jews that meant anybody who wasn't a Jew. 
Okay? So Jews are the children and everybody else, dogs. The children must first be fed. This word for fed here is one that Mark has already used when he described the feeding of the 5,000. It means in Greek not only fed, but fed until one is full, fully fed. If you remember, in the feeding of the 5,000, one little boy's lunch, and Jesus prays over it, 5,000 people are fed until they are full, and then baskets of leftovers are gathered up. Dr. Robert Grulich, in his commentary, said, Mark has come to the point that Paul was years before. Paul wrote, first the Jews, then the Gentiles. By saying first the children must be fed, there was an implication that then somebody else can get fed. A few years ago in our Canipa lecture series that we support every year by going to Grace Lutheran Church, our special guest and honoree that year was Sister Mary Boys. Sister Mary Boys is a Roman Catholic nun. She holds a prestigious chair at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, Dr. Tankersley's alma mater. Now, those of you who've been to that part of the city of New York on Manhattan know that just across the street from Union Theological Seminary is the famed Riverside Church. And on the other side, the Jewish Seminary. Okay? So you have Hebrew Union, you have Union Theological Seminary, you have the famed Protestant Riverside Church, Sister Mary Boys, a Roman Catholic nun holding one of the prestigious chairs at Union. Back a few years ago, she decided to ask ten Christian educators, along with herself, making 11, and 11 Jewish educators to enter into Jewish-Christian dialogue. See if these 22 people could come together again and again and talk about not only how we differ from each other, but what we have in common. And when the two years was up, she set out to write a book about that experience. And the story that came to mind for her was the story of Esau and Jacob. You remember it. Twins. Esau born moments before Jacob. According to the laws of that time, Esau should have received a double portion of the family inheritance because he would also get mom and dad and be expected to care for them the rest of their lives. But when they were young men, it was time for the blessing to be conferred. Jacob and his mother plotted against an aged and almost blind father. The two twins, very different from each other. Jacob liked to stay around the tent and cook with his mother. Esau liked to hunt in the fields and come home with wild game, which he cooked for his father, which his father enjoyed very much. So the father Isaac says to him, I want you to go hunt for me and cook for me, and I will give you your blessing. But his wife mother of the twins overhears and says to Jacob, this is our time, we have to move quickly, but I don't feel like Esau, well then we'll put goat skins on your arms so that you're hairy and you smell like your brother. This can happen, we can make this happen. And the blind father gives the blessing to Jacob, only to have Esau arrive shortly thereafter, ready for his blessing. And the father grieves knowing he's been tricked but saying, I've already given the blessing to Jacob. 
and Esau weeps. Do you remember? He weeps and says, My father, have you only one blessing? Couldn't you bless both of us? And Sister Mary Boys wrote her book, Has God Only One Blessing? You see, when Mark writes, it's not a question of whether God loves Jews. It's not a question whether God has chosen Jews. It's not a question whether God is working through Jews. It's whether the Gentiles are going to get in or not. Are we going to be blessed? Are we going to have salvation offered to us? Can we too be a part of the kingdom of God? And Mark's understanding is the same as is Paul's. First the Jew, but then also the Gentile. Also the Gentile. All right, let's move to the Decapolis. Jesus gets to the Decapolis. A man is brought to him who cannot hear and cannot speak. When Rabbi Zimmerman was here six months ago, he reminded us how important words are, particularly to people who do not read nor write. People who only hear words must remember carefully. So scholars, he said, are always looking for those times where a word gets repeated from a document that's very important that came before it. In this case, Mark uses a word for this person who cannot speak that is used only one time in the 39 scrolls of the Hebrew Scriptures. A significant word used only once. Now, at this point, of course, Mark is writing in Greek. But you remember the Greeks had conquered the Mediterranean world during the time of Alexander the Great. And there came a time when more Jews spoke Greek, understood Greek, and could speak and understand Hebrew. And so their scriptures were translated into Greek. That translation is called the Septuagint, you recall. And in the Septuagint, this word is used only once in 39 scrolls, and Mark chooses that word. Scholars say that is not a coincidence. That is by choice. And that word, appearing only once in the Hebrew Scriptures, as translated into Greek, is in Isaiah 35. In Isaiah 35, Isaiah has gone through this long indictment of the people of Judah. Now, we know quite a bit about Isaiah. We know that he prophesied as an adult for 39 years. Uh, in his writings, as he documents the coming and going of kings, we can tell he began in 740. In 722, Assyria swept down from the north, uh, obliterated, devastated the ten northern tribes who had separated themselves from the two southern ones, you recall. Israel in the north, Judah in the south obliterated those ten northern tribes, force-marched them away, put other people in their places, raped, plundered, devastated, so that the people ceased to exist as a separate people. Isaiah is predicting the same fate will befall the south. Judah will also fall victim because they are not staying close to their God. They are not doing what God has asked them to do. They are not the separate, unique people God has asked them to be believing in only one true 
God. They are not. Well, he doesn't live to see that devastation. It will be 150 years later when the Babylonians march on the south. But he prophesies nonetheless that it will happen. And then in chapter 35, he believes that one day, if they do not give up and become a part of their conqueror, as the Assyrians had so conquered the, the, the northern tribes, if they remain a separate, distinctly separate people, devoted to the one true God, God will bring them home. A Messiah, an anointed one, will be sent by God. Let me read you a little bit of that 35th chapter. You know these words. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. So strengthen the weak hands, make firm, feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong. Here is your God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the speechless shall sing for joy. Mark is saying, it's here. He's here. Number four. The Gentiles who live in the Decapolis, these ten little towns on the east bank of the lake, Sea of Galilee, Use a word here, uh, Mark does in describing it. One of the scholars I read this week said, abundantly overwhelmed. They were abundantly overwhelmed by what they saw in Jesus. Dr. Daniel Shantz has been a college professor for 41 years. He recently wrote that through his long time as a professor, He's had so many American students who almost act as if they're doing him a favor when they show up for class. And he said, suddenly last year, I had some foreign students who came from parts of the world where teachers are greatly esteemed. I had a young man from Burma in my class who would wait until everyone else had left after every class period and then stick out his hand to me and say, Oh, Dr. Shantz, that was wonderful. You were so wonderful to teach us. He said, in my class, I had a young woman from Vietnam, a little bit shy. So she wrote to me. I would find on my podium a note from her and she would say, your teaching is so wonderful. Thank you for spending all the years it took for you to learn what you know and your willingness to share it with us. He said, had a young woman from Sri Lanka. Our engineer who keeps us warm in the winter and cool in the summer is from Sri Lanka. He fled Sri Lanka because of religious persecution of Christians there. He's a devout Roman Catholic. A young woman from Sri Lanka, Dr. Shant said, started baking him cookies. Every two or three weeks, she would show up, wait until everyone had gone after class, and hand him a little box of 
home-baked cookies. One student, he said, I had from Haiti. And with all that's going on in Haiti, this student, right at the end of the semester, invited all of her professors to come to her little apartment. She had fixed dinner for all of us. On the last day of class, he said, as I was folding up my books, my four foreign students all stood and started to applaud. So the American students stood up and applauded as well. It had never happened to me in 41 years, he said. It was wonderful. Hear Mark. In Mark's gospel, the disciples never get it. They don't even get it when he's crucified, and they still don't have it on Easter morning when Mark brings his gospel to a close. But the Gentiles were astoundingly overwhelmed and said, Wow, he does everything 